0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Exodus chapter number 14 is where we're going to be at this morning. Exodus chapter number 14. We are wrapping up our summer series as we move into the fall called Greater Than. And this morning we're going to look at the subject faith is greater than doubt. And we're going to kick it off in Exodus chapter number 14. We're actually going to be looking at several different passages this morning uh, in Exodus and the book of Numbers, but we're going to start here in Exodus chapter number 14, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Piharoth. I am so glad I live in a city called Fresno, not Piharoth. Between Migdal and the sea over against Baal-Zephon, before it ye shall encamp by the sea. So God is telling them, this is where I want you to go. And in verse number three, God says, For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, Huh, they're entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And God says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh, and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into our message this morning. Father, we thank you so much for being our rock like we sung about this morning and I pray that we truly you truly would be our vision. And Lord as we look into your word on the subject of faith, I pray that we would turn our eyes on you that we would focus on you and that you truly would be our vision not just in this moment but in the moments to follow and the days ahead of us. Lord, I also pray for myself as I preach this message. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to say that these people haven't heard before. And ultimately, Lord, they don't even really need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me. Use your word to change this all this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to talk on the subject of faith is greater than doubt. And uh, I just have to say at the outset, oftentimes when a preacher or a pastor is preparing a message, it's kind of funny how God will allow the circumstances in his life that week to, to be so that he kind of struggles with what he's about to preach on. Um, And that has definitely been the case uh, for me this week. There's been several moments where something happened and my response was not a response of faith. And then I'd go and I would study and I'd be like, oh stink, that's what I'm preaching against Sunday and that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Um, So I just want to say at the outset, what we're going to look at today um, isn't something that I think any of us would raise our hands and say we've arrived at. Um, living by faith really is, it's not like a one-time decision. It really is a day-by-day and often a moment-by-moment process of living by faith and trusting uh, God for what He is going to do. And oftentimes, to be honest with you, doubt creeps into our hearts and our lives in subtle ways that we don't even really realize. Um, It's so easy to let doubt creep into our hearts and start living in doubt in subtle ways And I think partly because as American Christians, um, we don't really have to, quote-unquote, live by faith to experience the American dream. Um, It doesn't take a supernatural act of God for me to live comfortably. I live in America. Um, And so sometimes I think there's this danger that, as American Christians we may face, we could go for some period of time and not be living by faith and not even really realize it because we're okay with a comfortable life and we've kind of settled for... Comfort instead of living by faith. And there's also uh, many misconceptions that people often have about faith. Um, so, before we jump into our main text this morning, I want to look at several things um, that kind of are going to lay the foundation for faith. I mean, we know things like uh, faith is vital to bring God glory. We read the verse this morning, Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We know we have to live by faith if we're going to bring God glory. We know that whatever is not done in faith is sin, right? The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. But I think if we're to be brutally honest with ourselves, whether or not we're living in that subtle type of sin or whether or not uh, we're glorifying God isn't always even on our radar. Again, because we have a comfortable life. And so before we look at indicators of doubt, I want to actually talk a few minutes about uh, what faith is? Let's look at the Word of God and get a good definition of faith. First of all, we're going to see faith does not stop bad things from happening. Oftentimes, people they think, "Oh man, if I'm living for Jesus, my life is just going to be cherry." And we have to be careful because that's not the picture the Bible paints for us. Faith does not guarantee that bad things will never happen to you. We have to be careful that we don't um, mistake faith with karma, or true biblical faith with what sometimes people will call the prosperity gospel. The disciples fell into this in John chapter 9. They're walking along with Jesus, and the Bible says they passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from birth. And his disciples asked Jesus, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? They just automatically assumed because something bad had happened to this person, because this man was blind, somebody at some point must have sinned. At some point, somebody must have not lived him by faith. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, said, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And so faith is not like this lucky rabbit's foot that's going to keep us from experiencing difficulties and experiencing problems. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter 4.12, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Peter tells us it's not going to be unusual, don't think it's strange when you suffer, when you go through difficulties. So faith does not stop bad things from happening. Uh, in your connection, your Bible study guide, there'll be several more of these passages that you can look up, but it's important that we don't think just because we're having a difficulty in our life that God has abandoned us or that our faith is not strong enough. Faith does not mean bad things are never going to happen to you. Next thing uh, we kind of want to lay the groundwork for faith is faith does allow us to go through difficulties and experience the supernatural work of God. When those difficulties do come and we do experience hard times, faith is what allows us to have eyes that see God and we can see and we can look to him with faith and say, I wonder how God is going to work through this. Faith is what allows us to experience the fruit of the Spirit even when a difficulty happens. So faith does do that. The Bible says in John 16, 33, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. It's faith that helps us to remember, even in difficulties, the all-powerful creator of the universe lives inside of me. And I can experience peace. I can experience his supernatural work. When I have faith and a difficulty comes, our knee-jerk reaction will be, I wonder how God's going to take care of this. If there's a financial difficulty, man, I wonder how God's going to provide my needs. Or I wonder if God's going to show me something I don't need. I wonder what God is going to do. Faith gives us eyes to see that God is going to take care of it. God wants to use these difficulties. He wants to use hard, uncomfortable problems and circumstances in our lives to grow us so that we can see his supernatural work happen in our own lives. Uh, Like I said earlier, this past week, there were some circumstances that I did not like, and they were uncomfortable, and I didn't respond in faith. And I had to come to a point where uh, last night I was praying, and I said, Lord, thank you for these hard, miserable circumstances, because it's showing me parts of my heart where doubt is still there. Lord, thank you for these difficulties, because it's showing me how I can grow and be more mature in your image. Next, we're going to see faith is a heart posture of dependence on God. Faith is a heart posture of dependence on God. Here's a statement that I want us to really hang on to as we go throughout our sermon. Faith is living like we believe God will do what he says he will do. And what he says he will do is what is best for us. Faith is living like I believe God will do what he says he will do. And what God says he will do is what is best for me. Now doubt, on the flip side, doubt is living like we are uncertain God will do what he says he will do. And we are wondering if what he says he will do is really best for us. You see, when you boil it all down, living in doubt is thinking I know better than God. But when I'm living in faith, I'm going to completely trust God. And I know whatever happens, whatever difficult circumstance may happen, this is what God The sovereign creator of the universe has said is best for me and my life. The theme for our sermon this morning is doubt comes when we take off our when we take our eyes off God and forget his promises. I love the songs that we sang this morning. Talking about Christ being our vision, being our light, looking to him. That passage we read, looking unto Jesus. Doubt comes when we take our eyes off God and we forget his promises. Now there's a temptation that we're all going to struggle with. Okay, we have those definitions of faith, and there's a temptation to think, yeah, I'm pretty good. I I live by faith. Yeah, I, I believe God will do what he says he will do. I believe that what God will do is what's best for me. But as we're going to study the Word of God together this morning, we're going to see several indicators that we're actually living in doubt. And like we said earlier, they're subtle. They creep in, and oftentimes we don't even realize it until after the fact. So let's look at some indicators we are living in doubt. Our first text is going to take us all the way back to close to the beginning of the Bible, Exodus chapter number 14. Now we're picking it up with the children of Israel God has just done some amazing things. And they just witnessed God do all the plagues in Egypt. They've just witnessed God liberate them um, from their slavery. They have seen God come through in some amazing ways. And our first text in Exodus 14 picks up with the children of Israel up against the Red Sea. God is there with the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. And he has a message for them. His message, he's telling them, this is where I want you to go. I want you to go and camp by the Red Sea. And then he tells them, you guys are going to do this. And I don't know how, I've never noticed this before, but I read it the other day, and it kind of blew my mind that God actually told them what was going to happen before it did. God said, okay, you're going to go up against the Red Sea, and God told the children of Israel, Pharaoh's going to come after you. He told them. Pharaoh's going to come after you, but it's going to be okay because they are going to know once and for all that I am God. I'm going to get honor from them. I'm going to be glorified in this situation. Hang tight, Israel. It's going to be okay. Just go over here and wait. Pharaoh's coming. And the Bible says, and they did so. The children of Israel, they did it. They followed God's instructions. But how did they respond when Pharaoh actually started coming? Let's pick it up in verse number 10. Verses 5 through 9 is when Pharaoh actually sees they're entangled and they start going after them. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, now get this, and beheld the Egyptians... So their eyes were on the Egyptians, not on God. That's important. They lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marching after them. And they were what, church? Sore afraid. In modern English, they freaked out. (laughs) And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there's no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us to die in the wilderness? Moses, what are you doing? You brought us out here to die? We would have rather been in Egypt as slaves. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Isn't this the word that we did tell you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. God told them, Pharaoh's going to come. It's okay. I'm going to take care of it. And five verses later, we see the children of Israel responding in fear, which leads us to our first indicator that we're living in doubt, and that is fear. Fear. God told Moses and the children of Israel moments before what his plan was. But they took their eyes off God, and they put their eyes on Pharaoh and his armies. They forgot how God had shown himself so powerful to destroy Egypt with all the plagues. They they, they forgot everything that God had done to get them there, how he liberated them. And they put their eyes on the Egyptians, and they responded for fear. Now now think with me for a moment. Has anybody had an, an entire army of Egyptians coming after you, bent on your annihilation? I haven't, but I think that'd be pretty scary. This is a legitimate concern. This is not something that's like, oh, you stubbed your toe, get over it. There's an army coming after them to wipe them out. It's a legitimate fear. However, they were forgetting they had the all-powerful God of the universe. You could say this is a natural fear, but they forgot they had a supernatural God who could work past this and who had told them, I'm going to do something incredible in this moment. You see, fear is the result. Fear was the result of them just not believing God. They didn't believe God had this under control, and they responded in fear. The Bible says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, the presence of God eliminates the need for fear. We have the all-powerful creator of the universe residing in us, and yet how often do we, like the children of Israel, worry? We, we get scared because we don't know about the future. We worry about how things might turn out. And yet we have the presence of God in our lives. Ultimately, when we boil down fear, it's just not believing God's going to get it right. And the children of Israel, when they took their eyes off of God and they put their eyes on Pharaoh, they responded in fear. Now you may be saying, but Pastor Nick, there's some legitimate needs in my life. And there are. We're not undermining the legitimate problems or circumstances or difficulties that we're facing. We're elevating God. God is bigger than our problems. God is bigger than whatever is causing us to be afraid. I love what Psalm 27 says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. David said, whom will I fear? God is my salvation. Friends, God is our salvation. He has saved us from the bondage of sin. Whom shall we fear? He, dest- he, he destroyed the ultimate evil. He's victorious over him and he lives and dwells inside of us he goes on to say, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. David's saying, even the armies don't scare me because I serve God. I have the presence of God in my life, and when the presence of God is in my life, there's nothing that we should be afraid of. The presence of God eliminates the need for our fears. A Friday at lunch, we were eating lunch, and my son, two-year-old Nicholas, he climbed up on this big stack of chairs, and it's kind of scary watching your two-year-old. You turn around and you turn back and all of a sudden he's up on the stack of chairs. How many of you parents, you know what I'm talking about? It's like you blink and they're like on the edge of really hurting themselves. And so like any good millennial parent, what I do? I took a picture. Um, <laughs> there he is, smiling. He saw me pull out my phone and he goes, cheese. That's exactly what he did. So he took a picture. Then I went over there to get him down. But before, I didn't just take him down. I, I stood up I, I just out of his reach, just out of my reach. And I said, Nicholas, jump to daddy. And what's he do? total reckless abandon. Why? Because he knows his daddy's going to catch him. The other day, we were walking up the stairs in our house, and he was a few stairs ahead of me, and this was not planned. Um, I did not say Nicholas jumped to daddy. He just turns around and jumps. Uh, Just like no hesitation, no just, why? Because he knows his daddy's going to catch him. Friends, we have a heavenly father who will always catch us. We can take that step of faith. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in doubt. We don't have to live in worry. Why? Because we serve the all-powerful creator of the universe, and he says, you can call me your daddy. Let that sink in. We serve the all-powerful creator of the universe. Doubt comes. Fear comes into our lives when we take our eyes off God and we forget his promises. But let's keep moving. Flip over to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter number 16. We're now two chapters later in the the life of the children of Israel. Most scholars believe this is about two and a half months after the Red Sea. So they've been in the wilderness not a long time, but they've been in the wilderness a little bit of time. Two and a half months, that's a long time to be in the middle of nowhere. Um, But that's how long they've been in there. Uh, Let's pick it up, Exodus 16. Let's read verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel went into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. Get this, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, that word murmured just means to complain, Or to grumble, the whole congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They really like to pull out that excuse, don't they? We would have rather died as slaves than been out here. And the children of Israel said, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Our next indicator of doubt, when we're living in doubt and not in faith, the next indicator we see from the children of Israel is complaining. Complaining. Again, another legitimate need. You need to eat to live. But instead of turning their eyes on God and saying, man, there's no food, I wonder what God's going to do, I wonder how God's going to provide. You, you, you remember when he parted the Red Sea and we got through? You remember when he changed the waters for us in chapter 15? I wonder, no. Moses! Moses! Why'd you bring us out here to die? They instantly looked to man, and they started blaming him for it. Complaining is an indicator that we are not living by faith. The first thing they do when the difficulty happens is they look to assign blame. And when we take our eyes off God, it's amazing how often we murmur against men. When we take our eyes off God, it's amazing how often we murmur against men. When we're not living by faith, oftentimes the default posture of our heart when it's not living by faith is to look to somebody to blame for our difficulties. This difficulty happens and we either want to look to somebody to fix it, and when they can't fix it, we start blaming them. Just like the children of Israel, their their knee-jerk reaction was just to blame Moses. Moses, this is all your fault. You brought us out here to die. Totally forgetting that this was all part of God's plan. Not even thinking, I wonder how God's going to take care of this. Oftentimes, when difficulties arise, instead of looking to God to find the solution, we first look to men, and then man doesn't meet our expectations, so we blame them for the difficulty. The reason this is happening is, this is your fault. I shouldn't be going through this. Why are you letting this happen? And, and look how ridiculous our excuse is. We would have rather died as slaves in Egypt and at least had a full belly. As slaves in Egypt? But that's what happens when you take our eyes off God. When we take our eyes off God, it's oftentimes we start murmuring against men. Even in the face of legitimate circumstances, a life of faith looks to God for the solution. Nobody's doubting the, the, the legitimacy of this problem. And it might be, for us, it might be a relationship problem. It might be a financial problem. It might be a health problem. Nobody is saying that is a legitimate thing. Just suck it up and get over it. No, what we want to say is look to God in that problem. Trust Him. Let Him be the one that takes care of it. Turn your eyes on Him. And an indicator that we're not doing that is we start complaining and murmuring. When we are living by faith, we'll be far more interested in finding a solution than looking to assign blame. God is more interested in finding solutions than assigning blame. I love what Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 14 tells us. Philippians chapter 2, great passage on having the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then halfway through the chapter, he starts telling us, this is what it's going to look like when we have the mind of Christ. And verse number 14 says, do all things without... Now, now church, let, let, let's do this together. Do how many things? Does it say do easy things? Does it say only do fun things? No, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Murmuring, again, it just means to complain. Disputings is having this questioning and argumentative spirit. When the mind of Christ is working through us, when, we by, when we're living by faith, we're going to do all things without murmuring and disputing. When we complain and grumble, we are living in doubt. In chapter 15, right, literally the chapter before, they needed water. They come to the, the waters of Mar, but they're bitter, they can't drink it. And so God does a miracle and He changes it. He makes it so they can drink the water. And here, literally, 10 verses later, they've already forgotten. They've already taken their eyes off of God, and they're looking to another problem, and they begin complaining as a result. Can I just say this? God is bigger than whatever it is you want to complain about. Whatever it is that grips our spirit, and it just gets us bent sideways, and we just want to complain, and we just want to blame people uh, for our problems, whatever it is, God is bigger than that. And when we look to him, it's amazing the difference that it makes in our lives. We murmur and complain against men when we take our eyes off God and forget his power. So we see fear as an indicator that we're living in doubt. Complaining as an indicator that we're living in doubt. Now flip over to Numbers chapter number 20. Numbers number 20. In the timeline of the children of Israel, we're now on the tail end of their journey. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, 40 years prior to Numbers chapter number 20, they went to the land, uh, they, they got to the promised land. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that the promised land is a picture of the abundant Christian life. The children of Israel, they're living the shadow, we get the substance. Um, and so the, the, 40 years before Numbers 20, they're at there, they're at uh, the promised land, and Moses sends in 12 spies to spy out the land of Canaan. And if you know the song, 10 were bad and two were good, all right? But because of their doubt, because of they weren't living by faith, They didn't get to go into the promised land. And there was a whole generation of the children of Israelites that died in the wilderness because they didn't believe God could do it. And now here we are, 40 years later, back in the exact very same spot. This is 40 years after wandering. They're at the same spot the 12 spies went at. This was also the same month that they should have been celebrating the Passover in the promised land. This month is the month they were liberated from Egypt. This is when they celebrate the Passover time. They should have been celebrating it in the promised land, experiencing all that God had for them, but their lack of faith didn't let that happen. Instead, they found themselves back at Kadesh 40 years later, and once more were grumbling about water. (laughs) You would think after 40 years, maybe they would have gotten it. But like the children of Israel, so oftentimes, we we don't get it right away either. And here they are, they're grumbling about water. Let's, let's pick it up. The Bible in verses 2 and 3 says, And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, Would God that we would have died, with, died when our brethren died before the Lord. So they're saying, literally, I would have rather died with my parents wandering around the wilderness than to be right here on the very edge of the promised land, because I'm thirsty. Right. Okay, let's read verse number four. And why have you brought up into the congregation of the children of Israel? Or why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? That we and our cattle should die here? I just, poor Moses, right? (laughs) For 40 years, he's listening to the children of Israel complain about water, complain about food. And then they get food, but they don't like the food, so they start wanting meat. And then it's just, it like never stops. You think after 40 years, And Moses, after 40 years, put yourself in his position. 40 years of traveling through the wilderness when you should have been in the promised land. 40 years of putting up with the stiff-necked people. 40 years of interceding for them to God. If you read through this story, there were several times God was like, I'm just going to wipe them out. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses was like, no, God, you're a merciful God. What what would Egypt think if you just brought them out here and wiped them all out? And so God was merciful. Moses interceded for them. And this time, okay, same thing, they need water. And, And what does Moses do? Look at verse, um, I lost my spot, hold on. Verse number six, and Moses and Aaron went up to the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. They're whining about water again. So Moses and Aaron, let's go to God. Let's get the solution. They go to God. God gives them the solution. Here's what I want to do. Moses, here's your instructions. Speak to the rock and water's going to come out. And so Moses goes back to the children of Israel to tell them what happened, but something different happens this time. As soon as Moses sees the children of Israel, he snaps. He's had enough. For 40 years I've been wandering around this desert because of your lack of faith. And he snaps. Look at verse number 10. See how Moses responds. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, you rebels! Must we fetch you water out of the rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, and said, Because you believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. The final indicator I want to look at this morning is anger. Anger. Moses' anger in response to the Israelites' rebellion and discomfort they were causing him caused him to miss out on the promised land. Were the children of Israel sinning? Yes. Were they not believing God? Yes. Were they doing what was wrong? Yes. But Moses got angry in response to that and because he got angry and disobeyed God, he missed out on going into the promised land. Moses was suffering from another person's sin and he responded in anger. Literally the moment he sees them, he just flies off the handle. How often do we think in our hearts, I can't even stand the sight of that person? How often is it where we're like, I don't even want to be around them? Moses responded in anger. Literally, the moment he sees them, he just, here now, you rebels. Were they being rebellious? Absolutely. Did that justify Moses' anger? No. Moses responded in anger. Now, I know, a lot of us were thinking, yeah, but Nick, the Bible says to be angry and sin not, right? And it does. But there's a proper way to experience the emotion of anger. It is possible to be angry at the evil in this world and still experience the fruit of the Spirit. I'll be honest with you, when you read an article about Christians who are being martyred brutally for their faith, there should be a little bit of anger towards that evil. But when we're living by faith, we can also experience the peace of God Because we believe God will do what he says he will do, and God says he will one day stamp out all evil. And so even in that emotion of anger, we can yield that to the Holy Spirit and still experience the fruit of the Spirit. There's a proper way to handle being angry. To some degree, be angry at your brokenness. I need to be angry at my brokenness. It's it's evil. But when we're living by faith, we're not going to succumb to that anger and lash out in disobedience and lash out in anger. You see, the problem is that we get angry at all the wrong things. Oftentimes it's not the people who are being brutally martyred over across the world that we get angry at. We get angry when someone's sin inconveniences us. I I get angry when someone behaves in a way that I think is out of line. Happened to me this week. (laughs) Sarah's Tuesday is our day off. Sarah's working on a project. She has this palette how many of you, you men, your wives are like really into the projects right now? It seems to be like a thing. Anyway, my wife's really into to making stuff. And so she has this old, disgusting palette and she needs me to pull the boards off and cut the slats. So I'm like, all right, cool. But I'm angry. I'm in my flesh, right? Like Moses. I am like, oh, I cannot believe whatever. And so I, I, I go, I get my hammer, I'm pulling these things off and it's an old palette, right? The wood is really old. And so it's just like, splintering. And I'm like getting mad and frustrated. So I'm like pulling harder and it's splintering more. And now I'm frustrated at the stupid pallet. And so I'm just so frustrated at one point, I just take my hammer and I'm like, boom, right in the garage. And then the most unsatisfying thing happened. This thing was nailed together so tight, it just kind of bounced. And I was like, well, that didn't feel good either. You know, that was, I was expecting it to like break and shatter, but no, it just, it just bounced. You know, the truth is in that moment, when I'm responding in anger like that, I am missing out on my promised land. There's a difficult situation. We're not, we're not saying no to that. We're not saying don't engage that. We're not doing away with that. What we are saying is when that happens, how do we respond? And when I respond in anger, in that moment, I'm not experiencing the fullness of Christ. In that moment, I am not experiencing all that God has for me. I'm not experiencing the abundant Christian life. And just like Moses didn't get to experience the promised land, I don't get to experience all the richness of Christ because I'm not even looking to him. I'm I'm responding in my flesh. We're responding in our flesh. I love what James says. James 1, 19 through 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear. Slow to what, church? Slow to speak. Let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak. Boy, how often do we get those two backwards? Oftentimes when someone sins against us, we don't want to listen. We just want to let them know our two cents worth. We just want to give them a piece of our mind. And when we do that, we're not living in faith. I'm living in doubt. I'm sinning against God. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I love verse number 20. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You responding in anger is not going to accomplish anything God wants to do in this situation. God allows difficult circumstances in your life. God even allows us to feel the brunt of other people's sin. That's why Galatians says to go bear that burden with them. God allows that to happen in our lives so that we can experience His supernatural work. There's a relationship difficulty and someone's sinning against you. That's an opportunity for you to experience the reconciliation of the Holy Spirit. Just like God reconciled us to Himself, we can be ministers of reconciliation. We get to experience the supernatural work of God, but so oftentimes we skip that. Why? Because we get angry. We respond in our anger. So the litmus test is where does your mind go when you experience evil or when you experience difficulties? Do you get angry at a person? They shouldn't have treated me that way. Or is there an anger in your heart at the evil in this world that's ultimately submitted to the Holy Spirit so that you can take that step of faith and make it right? How do we respond when these difficulties happen? When we lash out in anger, when we take our eyes off God and forget his promises and his power. Fear, complaining, anger. These are all indicators that we are living in doubt and not by faith. Now, there's the temptation to look at the children of Israel and think, boy, were they messed up. I'm sure glad I'm not like them. But here's the truth. We are. We are. We like to look at ourselves and make ourselves like David in the Bible. Yeah, I'm David when he killed Goliath. No, we're the children of Israel off, hiding in fear in the tents. Jesus is David defeating Goliath for us. We, we, we get really hard on the children of Israel, but we do the exact same thing. You see, we think, man, why, why, how could they forget God did all those plagues and liberated them? And yet, how many times do we forget the miraculous? We have hundreds more miracles that we can read about and know about, and yet we often forget you see, oftentimes we look at the children of Israel and we think, man, they got to hear from God in the pillar of cloud and of fire and they still forgot. We have the, a copy of the complete word of God sitting in our lap. They didn't have the whole entire word of God. We have this sitting in our lap and how often do we forget how big God is and the promises he are. Moses interceded for them before God. Jesus is up in heaven interceding for you right now. Yet so often, In these subtle ways, we let doubt creep into our hearts. So what happens now? You may be thinking, well, great, Pastor Nick, my life is full of doubt. That's just rosy. (laughs) What do we do now? One conclusion, I'd like to just give us several ways we can strengthen our faith. Several ways we can strengthen our faith. First one I want to mention is constantly remind yourself of the promises of God and how big God is. Constantly remind yourself of the promises of God and how big God is. God is. And I'll say this, we, we, we're not going to know that if we don't spend time reading them. I heard a preacher one time say, man, when life cuts you, you should believe the promises of God. Constantly remind yourself of the promises of God and how big God is. I love 2 uh, Corinthians 3.18. It says, But we all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the more we look to God, the more the Holy Spirit's going to change us to be like Him. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we looking? Are we looking at him, or are we looking at our problems? Are we looking at him, or are we looking at a man? Are we looking at him, or are we looking at the difficulty of the situation? Constantly remind yourself of the promises of God and how big God is. Next way to strengthen our faith. Change your view of difficulties. Change the way you look at difficulties. If the children of Israel would have looked at these obstacles that they faced as an opportunity for God to work, they would have been in the promised land 40 years sooner. A whole generation wouldn't have missed it. If they would have just said, okay, we need food, I wonder what God's going to do. There's big giants in the land that are really scary. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. Fortunately, our God's bigger. Imagine if they had changed their view of difficulties, how different it would have been. And imagine how different our lives would be if we just changed the way we view difficulties. Don't have this karma view, like if something's going wrong, that must mean I'm doing something wrong in my life. no. God's going to allow difficulties in your life so he can do a supernatural work through you. Change your view of difficulties. And then, lastly, routinely check the posture of your heart. We don't like doing this one because this one could be uncomfortable, but take a healthy inventory of your life. Ask yourself questions like How do I respond when difficulties come? Do I get angry when things don't go the way I want them to? Or do I trust in God's sovereignty? Do I get angry and I lash out at people? Do I shoot off nasty text messages or emails or Facebook messages or MySpace, smoke signals? I don't know. How do you respond when difficulties happen? How often do I complain about things I don't like or understand? Ask yourself these questions. Routinely check the posh of our heart. Because remember, living by faith is a moment-by-moment process. It's not like a one-time, fix is all thing. No, it's a moment-by-moment process and journey of submitting and yielding to the Holy Spirit. And so we have to routinely check the posture of your heart. Here's our takeaway for this morning. Whatever your focus is when difficulties happen, reveal what you are depending on. Whatever you focus on when those difficulties happen, what's the first thing your focus goes to? That is what your faith is in. And if it's in the overwhelming, just this is so overwhelming, your faith is in a circumstance. If your mind instantly goes to a person, your faith is in a man, and it's not in God. Whatever your focus is, when difficulties happen, reveal what you are depending on. That's why over and over again you'll hear at the Ambassador Baptist Church, focus on Jesus. Look to him. Abide with him. Spend time with him. Focus on Jesus. I want you to imagine in your moment how different your life would be if your heart completely depended on him. I want you to imagine what it would feel like to have the anger, the fear, the worry, the complaining, just imagine what it would feel like to have that all melt away as you turn your eyes on Jesus and you completely and totally depend on him. Imagine what it would feel like in your soul to be at peace even when people aren't at peace with you. I almost fell off the edge there. Imagine, what that, imagine how that would feel like. Imagine the feeling. Imagine what it would feel like to be long-suffering towards people even when they sin against you again and again and again and again. And there's going to be moments when you just feel battered and beaten. But my friends, may I remind you of a Savior who is battered and beaten for us. Keep your eyes on Him. Imagine what total faith and complete dependence on Him would look like. Now imagine this. Ultimately, when we live by faith, God gets glory. I think all of us would say, I want God to be glorified with my life. Ultimately, when we live by faith and we allow the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in our lives, and when we surrender our fear, and when we surrender our complaining spirit, and when we surrender that anger to the Lord, God gets glory. And that's the type of life that causes the lost world to look at you and be like, man, there's something different. That's supernatural, that's not normal. That's because it's God, and He gets the glory when He lives through us. Are you living in faith, or are you living in doubt? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.